Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're talking to Eric Fell about improvisational DMing. How's it going, Eric? Great. I'm a little uh, toasty. It's the first hot day. Yeah, in a while in a at while, least. Yeah. yeah, and we're stuck inside a warm apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell us about yourself. How long have you been uh, running games? How long have you been playing D&D or any other role-playing games? My uh, adult life, uh, the role-playing game stuff didn't start till about 20... 11 when i started with uh fourth edition dungeons and dragons okay uh, i played a bunch as a kid i played the old d6 star wars role-playing game and i played um i, I think second edition was just coming out and uh we were playing ad and d <laughs> and i remember buying the second edition player's handbook and we weren't playing second edition <laughs> i don't and i just never used the second edition one. But um, yeah, so I've been I've been DMing since I've been playing since about twenty eleven, DMing since about twenty twelve. Okay, cool. What kind of what kind of games do you run as a GM? The best games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I run mostly right now it's mostly fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, but I also run Thirteenth Age, which is are you familiar with Thirteenth Age? I've heard of it. It's what you guys use to do the critical hit show, right? Yeah, we use it for the critical hit show. It's a, it's a D twenty variant. It's created by Rob Hainso, who worked on 4th edition, and Jonathan Tweet, who worked on 3rd edition. And it's basically the game they wanted to play, or they wanted to make, without Hasbro staring over their shoulders. Ah. It's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's quirky. Um, so yeah, I, I usually run those, those two. I'm, I'm hoping to run some other things soon. Yeah? Yeah. How tell me more about Thirteenth Age because I've heard I've heard a bit about it and I've I've looked at the books um, I have but I have too many role playing games already that I haven't played so oh, right, yeah. I can't pick up another rule book that I'm not going to play forever. Oh, of course, yes. Um, so tell tell me more about Thirteenth Age. I'm just a little curious. Well, it's based on uh, the whole three point five, the whole OGL thing. So it's familiar to anyone who's played a D20 game. I'm assuming the folks who listen to this podcast are familiar with the terminology I'm using. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it, it's a variant on the whole D20 thing. Uh, the things that I like about it is, are uh, during combat, there's a thing called the escalation die. So starting in round two, you put a die down on the table with the one up, which means all the heroes, uh, all the PCs get plus one to their attack. And then the next round, you move it up, all the PCs get plus two to their attack. And this represents momentum in battle. And it helps move the, uh, the combat along. And the monsters are designed with that in mind. So that first, it's harder to hit them in round one. Okay. So that, you know, you can, it can get a little easier. Uh, the downside is uh, dragons get the escalation die as well. <laughs> um, and there's neat powers and things that people sometimes have, depending on where the escalation die is. So if the escalation die is on an even number, you can do this thing. If it's on an odd number, you can do this thing. Another big difference is uh, backgrounds. You know, instead of skills, so a big list of skills, when you create your character, you get, I think, eight points to put towards any background you want. There's no list of backgrounds. 
It's any background you want, okay? And you can't have more than plus five to a single background. Uh, for example, uh, the example I like to use is if uh, you have like a plus four to raised in a circus, right? So then you're going along and, oh no, there's a, a rope, a single rope over a lava flow. Oh, well, you can use, you, you can roll your... Uh, Dexterity modifier plus level plus, hey, I was raised in a circus. And you just go to the DM. Oh, well, I was raised in a circus. So obviously, I know how to do tightrope. The DM goes, all right, that makes sense. And then you go across. And then on the other side, there's a stampeding elephant. Well, I was raised in a circus. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually... Yeah. I really like that because the one thing about skills in 5th edition is that... Like, as a DM, I'm trying to find... Like, if they're doing an investigation or they're like there's something going on, yeah. it's just like... Okay, I want to present them a situation... What skills do I suggest that they roll? And usually what I end up doing is just saying like, okay, this is an investigation roll, but if you can give me a really good explanation why you should be able to use another skill, then you can use that skill instead. So it gives the players a little bit of chance to be like, yeah. well, I'm really good at religion, and we are investigating something in a church, so... And I'm a cleric, so... Yeah. But that opens up a lot more possibilities for like, yeah, there's a rampaging elephant. You were raised in a circus, so you can probably like at least help to deal with this yeah, if you use your roll well. Charisma and your Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so we use that for the critical hit show to hilarious effect because the players in the critical hit show are all really fantastic improvisers. And one of the great improv skills they that, that, that you learn is is called justification. So you can sort of take two things that aren't linked at all and link them through some sort of justification. If, you, if you're good at that and you know, you've got this, this kind of game, it, it can be a lot of fun figuring out why. Like we have a character and uh, one of her backgrounds is she is an, what was it? There, she's an infernal wanderer and an extra planar amnesiac. <laughs> okay. So she adds that to any sort of deception because she doesn't know if she's lying or not. <laughs> she forgets if what she's saying about herself is true. Like, okay, sure. <laughs> that works. Oh, that's, that's that's amazing. That's Joanna Gaskell's character. She's brilliant. Speaking of critical role, um, or sorry, critical hits, tell us about that because this is the first time I'm hearing about it and I feel bad about that. Oh, well, well you know, it's only been six years <laughs> That's fine. Only 75 shows. <laughs> Playing internationally. And take a sip of my drink. <laughs> okay, the initial shock has worn off. <laughs> no, I understand that. Uh, yeah, a lot of people yeah. say, what, what is this Critical Hit Show? The Critical Hit Show is uh, a live comedy show that is at the Rio Theater in Vancouver. Okay. And it's the last Wednesday of every month. It's a live, improvised fantasy epic. Basically, it's a game of... D&D, or we use 13th Age, and I, I'm at a table, I'm the DM, I'm narrating, and uh, for the PCs, we have six brilliant comedians, and they're not sitting at the table, they're up and moving around. Okay. And, you know, they don't know quite what's coming, and when we have them fight monsters, I, uh, I go into the audience, <laughs> I grab audience members, hand them foam swords and whatever dollar store masks or things are I found and actually say what do you do and then they'll they'll fight the heroes. Okay. It's yeah. uh, it's a lot of fun. We get like about 250 people per show. Um yeah, it's a pretty 
pretty fun show. That sounds really awesome. Yeah, I've uh, I've been to one maybe two shows, and it's it's quite fun. Uh, Not super accessible for me with my work schedule, but good fun uh, if you can make it. Uh, um, one thing I'm curious about, like, how is the the whole thing with the Rio Theater and it potentially being sold? Like, has that affected you guys? Is like thinking about still hosting it at the Rio? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no. I mean, the, the the thing with the Rio is. I can't think of a better venue to yeah. do the Critical Hit show. So when they're like, well, what if the Rio closes down, you know? You can move here, you can move here. I'm like, Ugh, could we, though? Because <laughs> the Rio has a massive stage, right? which is great for all the people to, to move around and be really mobile. It's right at a SkyTrain station. It is right in the center of East Van. It is like just the perfect spot. It's licensed, yeah. so you can get... The legal amount of alcohol in you without being so <laughs> drunk that they stop serving you. And there's a bunch of food around it, too. So it's it's great if you have the time to, like, go and grab some dinner and then go to the show. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, like, an Uncle Fatty's uh, right, right across, across the street. street. Yeah. 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 Um, cool. That Yeah, that all sounds really awesome. I need to check that out soon. Yeah. Uh, Eric, where where else might our guests know you from? Because you you do some other shows and stuff around town, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they may Audience. Where might our audience, audience. go before Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although we might have guests who listen to the show fairly yeah. often. I mean, Craig. Uh, well, you know, I think I would like to think that you are their guests because they invite you into their ears. <laughs> that was awful. I apologize for that remark. <laughs> that is a really creepy way to that think about was, a podcast. <laughs> hi. Yeah. I think I'm going to start a podcast and, and, and say thank you for letting me into your ears. Uh, well, I do a number of shows in town. The, the two that I produce are the, uh, the Critical Hit Show and another show called The Gentleman Hecklers. Okay. Where we provide a live, hilarious commentary for the best bad movies. Awesome. We show a terrible film. We do commentary. It's I fun. love bad movies, and I love commentary about them. So, oh, it's great. It's we did Green Lantern last week. Oh my god. Sorry, we did Green Lantern this week. <laughs> it's only been a few days. I've just I've pushed it so far back in my memory. Uh, so yeah, we do that. I uh, what else do I do? Oh, and then I do a lot of other freelance comedy stuff in town. That's my job okay and uh you may have seen me on several commercials trying to sell you things you don't need uh and for those of you who aren't in vancouver you i don't know you might not know me but you might know my jokes from mystery science theater 3000 oh cool yeah i i wrote an episode with critical hit show uh my critical hit show co-star sean stewart okay and uh yeah we worked on an episode called cry wilderness it's a bigfoot movie <laughs> and i highly recommend it not just because I wrote jokes in it, but because it's uh, pretty rad in general. I'm pretty is, happy with it. Is that the the one that uh, they did on Netflix? Or? Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. that's the one with like Jonah Ray and Patton Oswalt and yeah. uh, Felicia Day. Yeah. Okay, cool. So getting back to D&D and 13th Age and being a GM, DM, whatever term you want to use, what is the, what's the benefits that you see of being like really improvisational, like not like... Flying by the seat of your pants, just whatever comes and whatever you think of on the spot. Well, it keeps me interested. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. Because <laughs> if you got a bored DM, right? I mean... It's not I, a good time. <laughs> I always see the DM as like, it's my job to challenge and entertain. That's, that's how I personally do it. I mean, there's no wrong way to do it. I mean, there is a wrong way to do it, but we're not going to talk about that, right? We're all being positive today. Cool. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, that's, that's how I do it. It keeps me interested. But it also keeps... The, the player's interested because they, they know they're not going to be railroaded. Uh, another thing I like to do with that is it gets the players 
really involved because the players can drop something, just say like a little line here or there, just make a note of it, and you can bring that back. I mean, if you're doing a campaign, you can write that down and bring it back in a month. So like, you know, someone makes an off, offhand remark, well, you know, kobolds killed my uncle by cutting off his head. And then, you know, three months later, you go into a cave and you find a kobold and a, a skull. That was dark. <laughs> that was really dark. You can also do it with fun things. But yeah, you can, you know, it, it really gets them involved. That's one of the things I really like to do is, I do it with Critical Hit Show too, because that's basically a, a game, is, you know, I will, uh, that, that show always starts with the heroes meeting in a tavern. Because why not? Yeah. And they'll chat about stuff. And they'll actually bring in sort of stuff from their real, real lives. And I'll make little notes of it. And, and you'll see it get incorporated over the course of the show. You'll see stuff happen. And I do that, yeah, when I, when I DM as well, is I'll just sort of listen. It's one of those things that I, I did from, I did professional improv for like 11 years, doing like 200, 200 shows a year. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, um, that's all sort of second nature to me now. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's a really great uh, tool to use. How do you find when you're doing that kind of improvisational jamming, like how does that work for like combats and encounters? Like I'm guessing that you kind of play a little bit more loosely with the rules, like not so concerned with like hit points and like, oh no, the challenge rating of this thing is way higher than it should be for this party of people. Like how do you deal with kind of the game as presented and running it improv improvisationally where you have to be able to just be like, yeah, you're fighting five orcs now. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I do take into account the, uh, the challenge rating. I try to. Uh, but what I also do, and uh, is, I'm sure other GMs do this, I, are they call, I, I, I call it floating hit points. Okay. Where you got a creature, and, you know, they've got, if you look at the monster manual, it says they've got X amount of hit points, and then there's their hit dice next to them. Yeah. I look at the hit dice, and I see a minimum hit points and a maximum hit points. And so I float. So, you know, I'll default to the, whatever, say seven hit points for a kobold. But, you know, if it's dragon, not dragon, if it's dragging, I'll say, oh, yeah, there it is. So I don't, I don't tell the players they have three hit points left. I, you know, I will, I will either describe to them the damage that's done or I'll get them to describe it, especially if it's a critical hit. Like, you know, or at the end, I'll go, well, you had one hit point left and you did 16 points of damage. Explain. <laughs> yeah and then you know yeah but uh yeah i do the kind of floating hit points and stuff and most of the games that i run right now are one shots because i do the the dm and dine program right. at the Stormcrow. so I, I i've got a basic outline for those um but yeah in the middle of that there's a lot of i mean it can really go anywhere and just sort of you know gently nudge to a to a climax yeah Oh, once again, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <sighs> that uh, the, the idea of floating hit points that that sounds a lot better than to me than um, I listened to the Fear the Boot uh, podcast a little bit, and it's basically kind of like this bunch of GMs who talk about uh, GMing, and one of the hosts says that like he doesn't track hit points at all. It's he just goes by entirely like, yeah, it feels about right that the monster should die now. Like <laughs> yeah, and. When I first heard that, I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, it, like it's the kind of thing where it blows your mind in a bad way, where you're like, this is not right. <laughs> <laughs> but 
that I like the idea of floating hit points sounds a lot better because like having at least a minimum so you know that like yeah it has at least eight hit points so if somebody does like one point of damage when they roll their you know they roll all their damage dice and they get like the minimum it's like you didn't kill it yeah, <laughs> yeah. but having a something where you're just like yeah they hit it if they hit it four times they'll kill it like that just seems weird yeah but having yeah. floating hit points is a much to me feels much better so that you don't you're not having to worry about like oh i need to know exactly what everything is but I, you know that like oh it's got a minimum of this so if they do some really solid hits like yeah they'll deal with it yeah and it's uh, you know there's especially moments where it's like someone does something incredibly spectacular right and it's such a great it's such a high at the table it's like oh my god you got the this and this and this and and you're all working together and then it's still got a hit point left and it's like oh come on you know and then like a nudge will kill it um, in 13th Age, melee attacks can do damage on a miss. Okay. Because they're... And I never really thought of this, but like, you know, when you roll against armor class, you're not rolling against whether you hit, you're rolling against their armor. So it never really clued into me that it was like, oh, no, you're still hitting them. You're just not doing damage. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of ways to think about that. But yeah, like there's... I, th- I think it's one of the hardest things, especially in, in D&D, because you're just... You, you roll your d20 and then it's a miss or a hit. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's other systems where, like, in uh, the latest edition of Star Wars, the the Edge of the Empire, right. those ones, where, like, when you roll to hit, like, you're rolling a bunch of different kinds of dice. So, like, you can miss, but something good still happens. Yeah. Or, like, you hit, but something bad also happens. So, like, it's a lot easier to explain, like, well, yeah, you hit them or, like, you missed, but something still happens. Whereas with D&D, it's just like... Well, you rolled a 13 and you needed a 14, so I guess you don't do anything. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, but, and, but, like, I've heard DMs try to say, like, oh, explain it, like, you know, tell your players, like, narrate what's going on so they're like, oh, he just, like, narrowly misses your blade. It's like, yeah, but he still missed. Yeah. It's like if you miss with a ranged attack, I will, you know, describe either, if it's a, you know, miss by a lot, I'll say, you know, the, the arrow whizzes by the goblin's head and embeds itself in the wall behind you. Or, the arrow glances harmlessly off of the armor. <laughs> I, I use glances a lot. <laughs> and I used, uh, you've turned the creature into a fine paste, I find was a, was a big go-to when they would do a lot of damage. I mean, it's really satisfying, right? Yeah. I like to think of hit points not only as like their health, but their morale and all that kind of stuff. So like, potentially you're hitting them and maybe not dealing like, wounds to them but like you're hitting them so often that they're you know if it's a goblin they're maybe easily demoralized so by the time you get to their 10 hit points yeah. and you hit that final blow that's when you actually get a killing stroke in or, or whatever yeah. and that's another thing that i do sometimes if the if the combat is really grinding i mean i started dming with fourth yeah <laughs> right um which i to this day i absolutely love it uh but i would do the okay well the uh the goblins are bloodied they're running. Yeah. The end. <laughs> you know. And it's, it's one of those things, especially when you're playing a character, like, you know, if somebody's playing a character that's kind of like, you know, a rogue who's more of an assassin, like, it's one of those kind of weird dichotomies where it's like, well, the guard has 10 hit points and your dagger does D4 damage. Technically, there's no way for you to sneak up and just assassinate them in one yeah. hit. But you always find, like, workarounds for, like, well, you snuck up and you got him from behind and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, he's just dead. But... Doing that same kind of thing in combat where, like, yeah, there's you've got your floating HP and, like, you're trying to be a little bit more narrative. That probably 
also feels really good to the players. Like, not just as a GM having to worry about, like, I've got to, like, accurately track every single hit point that gets lost, but also the players know that, like, oh, yeah, we did enough damage and, like, it's a really good moment and we finally killed the thing instead of, you know, the situation of, like, yep, it's got two hit points left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, that's, that's one of the reasons why I don't tell the players the AC or the hit points that are left. Because they said, well, how many hit points does he, does he have left? Like, well, uh, it's got three arrows in him. <laughs> Just leave it at that. Like, oh, okay. It's like, yeah, that's because that's what you can see. You're not like, yeah, all right. That guy's got four. He looks like he's got four life left. <laughs> yeah. Let me shoot him. Yeah, it's it's something that, like I, I, I kind of stole the idea of something being bloodied because uh, I've only played fifth or GM'd fifth edition. So when something gets down to like about half, I'm like, yeah, he's looking kind of bloody. Yeah. Like, I, I never say how many hit points, which is kind of tough now that I'm in. I'm running in roll 20 uh, because, uh, well, I could just turn it off, which I probably should, but uh, monsters have like a little um, HP bar above their token. So like it's a little green bar that like every time they hit and they do damage and I adjust their their HP, the the little green bar goes like, (laughs) Oh, so it's a bit like Diablo. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. (laughs) Um, How is roll 20 to run? I've been, I've been, uh, I've been looking at it but i still i don't know maybe i'm just old and out of touch (laughs) it's it's got a bunch of really great tools like it does make some things easier uh while you're running the game the only thing is that like i guess for me because i like when i was playing here in the apartment everybody would come over we'd all sit around the table i felt okay just having like my wet erase um battle map that i could just like quickly draw a map on like yeah. oh no they went in a completely different direction quick what is what does a, a church look like oh yeah i know the kind of general layout mm-hmm. but on roll 20 i feel like because i can put in nice maps that i kind of feel like i have to yeah. so so it takes a, a quite a bit more preparation because i'm not just like drawing on some graph paper a map that i'm going to draw on the on the battle mat later on i've got to like actually find some like i found a couple of things online that make me let me make nice looking maps yeah but it does require more effort like it requires more preparation but that's just how i think like i could just use the tools in roll 20 to to throw together a map but there's also some cool stuff like you know if, if i prepare a map then i can turn on stuff like dynamic lighting so that each character only sees what they should be seeing but at the same time like when they decide to go in a completely different direction, like this happened last session, actually, they're like, oh, we're going to go over here because we've all decided that this is where we're going to go. And I'm like, give me 15 minutes to put together a map. <laughs> oh, <laughs> instead oh. of instead of being able to just go, yeah, cool, and just start drawing on a yeah. battleground. What you could do is, uh, I believe on DMs Guild, you can buy for relatively cheap, like, packs of dozens or hundreds or however many maps that are compatible with Roll20. Yeah, well, I've got, like, the, I've got a set of tiles so that I could I could just like drag in tiles but the thing that I found is that roll 20 at least in chrome I, I think it works better in firefox for some reason in chrome too many things in the map makes it very slow that makes sense yeah so, so it's it's kind of a trade off like you do get some cool stuff like um like there are some scripts that you can install so that like it's got the dynamic lighting and a whole bunch of other stuff but the downside is that you like at least for me, I feel like it takes much more in prep. Right. Than, whereas with uh, when I was doing it around the table, I could just go to Kobold Fight Club, put together an encounter, mm. like just think up a map and put it on some graph paper, and then cool, I've got the stuff I need because I've got like printouts for monster cards and all the stuff. So it's easy to just like poop here in a folder is this encounter, and when I need to 
change up the map. It's super easy to do because it's just what a race. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like it and I don't like it. You know what I've been digging? You mentioned the, the Cobalt Fight Club. What I've really been digging with uh, creating encounters is that little chart in uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. That helped me so much with encounter building. With encounter building like via the, uh, the, the three core books, I was just like, oh my god, this is... Why is my brain not getting this? <laughs> I just want to know the ratio, right, of just like, okay, so if you're this level, you're, you know... Uh, a challenge rating two is a one to one. A challenge rating three is a two, or whatever, right? Yeah. Now that I've got that, because I do the these one shots, you know, I could have four people at the table. I could have six people at the table. I mean, that's that greatly affects, you know, the way a battle can go. Is those two people? So I just sort of like right up up at the top. It's like add a CR whatever creature for every extra PC that yeah. shows up. Um, yeah, it's really great. Yeah. The worst thing about the initial rules for encounter building is that I think once you got to six players, the math suddenly changed. Yeah. Like, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, it was like three or less or six or more. You're like, oh, crap. Yeah. yeah. I never bothered learning the rules. I just used Cobalt Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's... that's it's, I find that overwhelming and I get decision paralysis. Oh. I was that guy who would go into a video store. Remember video stores? So I would go in there <laughs> and... Oh, I'm going to rent a movie. Hour and a half later... The, the person behind the desk is like, listen, I gotta use the restroom. Can you just like uh, stand behind the desk for me? <laughs> you sit there with your like, okay, I've got this pile of five movies and this pile of ten movies yeah. and this pile of six movies, and I think I want one of these ones, but okay, this is gonna take. I need, I need a notebook. <laughs> yeah, the 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 black dog people know me well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so speaking of encounter building and stuff like that, mm -hmm. uh, what do you find you need to prep going in when you're running a largely improvisational game? Um, I like to have a couple of uh, encounters ready. Like, I will have... I mean, I'll give them a, some sort of adventure hook. Yeah. So, they kind... I, I know where they're going to end up. Yeah. Um, with the DM and Dine, it's more structured. But when I'm running with just friends, it's like, you know, we don't have to end the session after three hours, or we can come back to it later. I like to have just a few encounters kicking around here and there. And if I've got those numbers... Uh, so I got four people, they're all level three, you know, I know what a fair encounter would be. I also know if, you know, I want it to be super easy, I, want, I know if I want it to be super hard. It's a lot easier for me to just like, just quickly write some stuff down. I love index cards. I love just having stuff on index cards and go, yeah. okay, so there's like four of these. And I just have like Monster Mango, page 166, Monster Mango, page 167. Or... What I've been using and really enjoying is the Tome of, uh, sorry, the Tome of Beasts. So yes. great. Yes. Oh, what's really great about that is when I'm doing these one shots, it surprises the really experienced gamers because they're like, uh, there's these creatures in the Tome of Beasts. I forget they're like, they've got two names and the second name is Stormcrow. So I was like, okay, I kind of got to <laughs> use this. And I was playing with these really experienced players and these things look like uh, Kenku. Right, they're they're bird people. Oh, uh, raven folk, I think. It's just they're like they're not. Yeah, they're not even raven folk. They're something else. <laughs> and like, oh yeah, well, these are going to be easy because they're this challenge rating, and we're level ten. And these guys can fire magic missiles from their swords at will. <laughs> <laughs> and their reaction to a ranged attack is magic missile. So you shoot an arrow at them. Oh, okay, let me just get the 2D. Whatever. You know, it, it's just you shoot them, they hit you. <laughs> and so these experienced players are like, what is going on? 
I actually, I have the Tome of Beasts, and I have a player who wanted to play uh, a desert druid. So I went through the Tome of Beasts and found some... Because the thing with the druid is, like, you know, you can wild shape into, like, CR one quarter or whatever at a certain level. And so I found some creatures from the Tome of Beasts, and I'm like, yeah, you can also transform into these. Oh my gosh, that's great. And I didn't take a close look at some of them. One of them is called the Sutrafly. When it hits you, it very quickly stitches up one of your, like, eyes or your mouth or your nose. Oh, oh, oh dear. No. Oh. <laughs> Which was, like, kind of disgusting to discover, like, in-game when she's like, yeah, I, I want to transform into this thing because it can fly around. Like, okay, cool. And then I open up the book and I look at it and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. The, what, if, what, what I like about it is the creatures aren't tied to that, to the, to the mythos yeah. of D&D. I mean, that can be a great thing or that can be a bad thing, but I like how they can just get weird. Like there's a, I think it's called shark jaw skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a skeleton made of just shark jaws. I mean, that's, I, I mean, awesome. if, if that's not a critical hit show monster, um, we do, we, we get weird because I designed the monsters because I've got the stats for with 13th age. It's, it's basically the same stats for whatever creature, whatever level. So I'll design creatures for each show too, uh, depending on what is at the dollar store. <laughs> so that's why uh, uh, we get a lot of uh, a lot of use out of tablecloths, <laughs> dollar imagine. store tablecloth. Here comes a purple worm. Oh, here comes a, <laughs> a gelatinous cube. Oh, here here comes the ocean. Um, <laughs> there, isn't there? There's yeah. There's a bunch of stuff in the like. I like how the Tome of Beast has a lot of creature like fey creatures like um like titania and um oh the fey court yeah the fey court like yeah all like you know stuff pulled from like real world fey mythology but it's also got just a bunch of weird stuff like there's weird there's one there's one monster that it's it's basically just it pretends to be a cobblestone and oh wow <laughs> they like move around in swarms so like you could be in a dungeon then all of a sudden all the cobblestones just start attacking. I think the one I see from Tomo Beast the most, or have the most use, is the gold golem, I think it is, or the gold elemental. And it's literally a, a sentient swarm of coins. Oh, nice. And it's just really dangerous. <laughs> I, I would also, uh, if you like weird monsters, 13th Age has some real quirky, quirky monsters. Yes. They have, there's a, a type of kobold that they have where um, they got wings on their backpack and wait on the backpack yeah yeah so they got a backpack with wings so they can fly but if you roll i think if you roll like a, and, and they'll like throw different um chemicals at you oh, and yeah, i think you roll a d4 to find out what it is and if you score a critical hit against one i think they fly into the other ones and land and then they start exploding <laughs> so you could actually like have exploding kobolds rain down on you which is amazing yeah, I, I really dig 13th Age. They also have, like, MOOC rules. Okay, so kind of like minions in 4th Ed? They're kind of like minions, but what it how it works is um, you got your MOOCs. Say they've got four hit points each. Okay. So you, you, you're fighting a MOOC, and you do ten damage. So what you've done is you've just killed two, two MOOCs, and you've done two damage to a third MOOC. Okay. And what's fun about that is you get the... How do you justify that? How do you explain that, right? Yeah. So it can be, you know, if there's two kobolds and they're, I, so I'm, I'm doing a lot of low-level games right now. So. <laughs> uh, you got two kobolds. They're, they're not the closest to each other, but you do enough damage to kill them both, you know. So I, I you know, use whatever. I, I slice off the, uh, the kobold's head. The kobold's head flies 
over, hits the ground, the other kobold trips, falls, and breaks his neck. Or something. <laughs> That's right. There's really lovely little quirks uh, to that game. I like the idea of that kind of mook thing where you can kill more than one in a single hit because it's kind of the one thing with D&D where if they're in a situation where they're just up against like a bunch of low-level creatures because they wandered into a kobold lair, like having a combat drag out because, yeah, you did... 30 damage and you killed one kobold because they're they've only got like or they're fighting goblins who've got like seven hit points like yeah cool on a critical you do 50 damage and you just you turn a, a goblin into mist but then it's the other goblins yeah. turns i mean you could house rule that um even in the 13th age core book it says hey if you don't want to play this game feel free to use these as house rules for your d20 game yeah, mooks especially, and it, it actually kind of touches on you're saying like critical or hit or max damage to a goblin or whatever. I cannot count the amount of times that my players have been like trying to clear out little baddies before going against the big one, and they roll a critical hit and they just sit there and go, "Oh, well, that's a waste of a 20. <laughs> so when you're preparing for a game, how is it different from when you prepare for a session of critical hit? Well, with the critical hit show, I know it's going to be. 90 minutes to two hours long. I have a general sort of format for the show because we do want to make it entertaining. Uh, every single show ends, Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Every single show ends with uh, them using the audience in some way to defeat some giant monster. So I know that's got to be a thing. That's usually the thing that I have the most trouble coming up with because uh, I don't like to repeat myself. Well, you've done 75 episodes. I've done 75 shows. <laughs> So it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. So that is something that I know, and I, obviously I take into account the uh, player's other talents. For example, our bard, Sean, is an incredible musician. So he'll actually, like, when he does his bardic stuff, he'll whip out his ukulele and he'll play a song. He'll improvise a song. It's fantastic. So um, so I have kind of a basic, you know, beginning, middle, end structure. I know there's got to be uh, a, uh, a cliffhanger in the middle because... There's intermission. People gotta go buy drinks. So it's it, that's it's it's very improvised, but there is a, a basic structure behind it. With something like just a, a a game I'm doing with my friends for 13th age, we'll come over, we'll be talking, and I'll just go, give me 15 minutes, and I go into the other room, and I just start jotting stuff down on uh, on index cards, and I come back. I also use face cards. Yeah, I love face cards. Uh, what is face cards? Face cards are made by Paizo. Okay. And they're a deck of cards. And they're just faces of humans, elves, dwarves, goblins, all that stuff. Okay. So I what, need to find those. Oh, they're great. They're great. because So when I play a game, I will shuffle the deck. And they'll go into a shop. I'm like, okay, the shopkeeper looks like this. And I'll pull it out. We all have a good laugh. And as soon as I look at it, I add a, a, a ridiculous voice. To, to the character, and I'll write something down. And sometimes, I mean, you can pull out just these ridiculous faces and you're just, oh my, oh my god. Now I have to be this guy <laughs> explaining the quest with this voice. Hey, hey you gotta go. Uh, yeah, someone stole the, my father's uh, crown. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> that, that, that was a voice I did the other day to DM and die. <laughs> or they'll look vaguely like a celebrity. There's like, you open your like, oh, that's, Clearly Nicolas Cage. Okay. There's going to be a bag with a shark or something in it later. And someone's going to have to ask how something got burned. Just think, like just jump immediately to Wicker Man. Oh, you always have to jump immediately to Wicker Man. You're not going to... Don't start at like 
Captain Corelli's mandolin. Oh, no. No, no. Head straight for the Wicker Man, or as I call it, the Wick. I don't call it that at all. I call John Wick the Wick. I like the the, the, the face cards are something that I really like because uh, one thing I found for like the Star Wars game, and I run Eclipse phase as well, it's in those systems, it's a lot easier to just like, oh, I need to throw, like they decided to get into a bar brawl. Cool. I can just like randomly write down some stats because those games are a lot more flexible yeah um so it's a lot easier to just be like all i need to care about is their melee stats so i'm just going to write that down for a couple of them one of them's one of them's going to be really good the other ones are all going to suck yeah and just some random hit points and just go whereas with D D, like there i'd like the idea of being able to just be like cool i've got some faces and i've got some prepared stats yeah and just being able to be like yeah you're fighting well okay you're fighting this guy <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and and not having to worry so much about like, because that's one of the hard things for me is like, I think that one of the things I spend the most time preparing are like the NPCs, like the important ones. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to run into like, there's the you know the leader of the mercenary guild, and there's this leader in the city council. Like trying to figure out like, okay, what kind of personality? And I usually go to like I try to figure out what celebrity they're like, so that I have like oh yeah a movie that I can base it off yeah. base it off of. But having something like face cards for like the random people they run into could be. Great. And it's great. And then you'll like write a note. So, you, you know, you're like, okay, so I'll write like the character name and then maybe like a line that they said or like a dumb voice that I do. Because I do, I do really lame voices. <laughs> uh, a lot of them are like old timey movie and TV characters. So, you know, I'll, I'll write something down. I'll put it on the back of the card. So if they go back to that shop or whatever, I'll be like, oh, right. Yes, this guy. Or they're like, if I forget and they remind me, I'm like, eh, it's his day off. <laughs> we all got to get a day off. It's one of the things that I find, I, I've heard of people who have run campaigns for decades. Like they've got the same world that's been going mm-hmm. forever. I've, I saw a picture once of a, of a GM who had like, you know, six inch binders oh like full gosh. of stuff. Like he had like six of them. And like it was a world that this guy had been running since like the first edition of D&D. Oh my gosh, this guy's like Henry Darger. Yeah, and having to remember all of these characters, like I'm sure that like, over the course of like the thirty decades that you run or something like that, like that's three hundred years. Like yeah, some of 